Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Money, money, Here comes the money indeed, and here come the big shots. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Big Shots Podcast here on the Whole Nine Sports Podcast Network. You've heard my voice before if you listen to the Whole Nine Sports Podcast. It is Mike Hernition. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Spencer WNS. Joined by a new voice. You haven't heard him on here before, making his podcast debut, my co-host. I'm gonna let him introduce himself. How you doing, Mike? My name is Devin Jackson. Uh, on Twitter, I am RealD underscore Jackson. And I'm a Big Ten also writer and contributor for the whole nine sports. And I'm glad to be a part of this pro- podcast, Mike. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, it's been a bit of a, a crazy week for us here. We found out that we were going to get this uh, probably about a week or so ago from our boss, um, Brandon Olson. Uh, something that we've been kind of talking about in the works for a little bit. And we just decided, you know what? It's October now. It's a great time. But, you know, we're expanding here, so why not give uh, the resident loudmouth of Whole Nine Sports, me, and, uh, well, Louisiana's third favorite son after Zion and Drew Brees, and that would be you, of course, uh, our own podcast to talk about the Big Ten. Uh, but, uh, Devin, before we get into the news from the week, I just want to ask, have you seen this Khalil Mack quote? This has nothing to do with the Big Ten podcast with the the Big Ten Conference as a whole, and we will get into that. But I just want to know have you have you seen this Khalil Mack quote? I've seen it, but I can't remember exactly what I said. But I do re- recall it being like bizarre and really funny. So, so you can just refresh my memory. I, absolutely. So for those of you that don't know, uh, Chicago Bears defensive end Khalil Mack, when asked on why he didn't celebrate their win against the Vikings, said. And I quote, are you ready for this, Dev- uh, Devin? You ready for this? Not really. <laughs> he said, quote, a dog that poop fast don't poop for long, man. End quote. What the fuck am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> I don't know what that means. I am so confused by it. It made me laugh. It made me cry. It made my brain hurt. I have no idea what the hell he was getting at why that was the analogy he decided to go with um but yeah that's that's a thing that happened uh i'm gonna take your absolute silence as your brain has kind of melted from that a little bit too i just don't i'm trying to wrap my brain around what could they even mean like (laughs) what how does i even equate to like i don't even i don't even know where to start because like what just i think it's i think that's one where you just kind of have to read it and you just have to kind of accept that nothing at all is going to make sense in that now i'll tell you i'll tell you what uh being uh being a reporter like stuff like that you can literally run with that like that's (laughs) that's that's the type of sound bites you want to hear oh definitely when that is that is guaranteed clicks (laughs) like just putting that quote as a title, it literally will. Everybody's like, "What? What yeah. does that even mean?" Like, you have to. Your curiosity makes you click it. And I mean, you know, we live in a clickbait culture. I mean, that's not clickbait. That's literally what you said. So <laughs> now, I do say, I did say that it's like, oh, it's not related to the Big Ten. But I do think that's a good segue because he was talking about dog crap. 
And speaking of things that are dog crap, let's talk about the Rutgers coach vacancy. Um, wow. I I mean, I knew Chris Ash was on a short leash because, well, Rutgers was playing pretty poorly, to say the least. Um, but I thought he maybe would have been given another year. I mean, he came with such high praise uh, coming from Ohio State that people thought that it was only a matter of time. And, I mean... You know Rutgers has seen a downfall when two of the biggest recruits that have snubbed them were from in their in their own state. One is Saquon Barkley, and the other is Jonathan Taylor. And just, it makes you wonder, if they had gotten either of those guys, what would be going on right now? Like, would Rutgers actually be good? Probably not. But... The reason I throw this up is there was a, a tweet that came out the other the other day or an article uh, that I tweeted out. Uh, it's not me that wrote this, believe me. Uh, but here are some of the top quote-unquote candidates according to whoever wrote this article. Greg Schiano, which I don't know about that one. Mississippi State head coach Joe Moorhead, who would apparently decide to take a you know, fringe top 25 program and leave to go to, of all places, Rutgers <laughs> and Pat Narduzzi of Pitt, who again would be leaving a power five conference of a team that's generally fighting for bowl eligibility or better. And has appeared in the ACC championship as of late to go to Rutgers. Now, I, I don't know who else is on this short list. Maybe, I don't know, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, <laughs> Bill Belichick. I mean, Belichick's from New Jersey, so he'd obviously want to go to Rutgers. I can't name who's actually going to be uh, a, a candidate for this Rutgers job, but I can guarantee you none of the people I just mentioned are going to be getting the call or going to be answering the phone call from Rutgers. I think there's about as an equal chance of Bugs Bunny getting the job as there are those guys. I just can't. I mean, why would any of those guys leave their programs? I mean, look, Rutgers is just going to whoever coaches Rutgers is going to be a five, at least a five year rebuilding program, because number one, you're competing with other Big Ten schools that have dominated the area. I mean, let's be straight up. They they took Saquon Barkley. Penn State took Saquon Barkley right out of Rutgers' backyard. I mean, how— Wisconsin took uh, Jonathan Taylor, and he's, like, from, like, real close to Rutgers. Like, what can you do as a Rutgers athletic director, coach, player? Because you're playing against these historically great programs each and every week. I mean, Iowa, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, Michigan State, uh, just to name five. I mean, it's no matter who's the coach, it's going to be difficult. I mean, that it's just going to come down to that. It's going to be difficult to win the Big Ten at Rutgers. The talent level isn't going to be on the same playing field for a long time unless you get like a huge big name coach. And I mean, somebody like a you got to make a splash like a Scott Frost hiring uh, for Nebraska. Uh, yeah, you look at uh, P.J. Fleck from Minnesota. You have to make that type of splash where someone has a proven track record of being successful. I mean, Chris Ash, he had success at Ohio State, but he wasn't the head guy. So Rutgers has to go after a head coach that is currently coaching 
at the head coaching level and it's coaching at a high level because Rutgers, they're not going to be a program that's going to flip and turn over overnight and be oh no, a, a consistent 7-8-9 win team, a consistent bowl eligible team. There's so many strides that need to be made for Rutgers and none of those candidates want to take on that challenge. Mississippi State is in good hands with Joe Moorhead. He, he has the Penn State background. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator at Penn State for a while. Uh, you, you look at Pat Narduzzi. I mean, he's been at Pitt forever. He's not leaving that program. Uh, I, I mean, Greg Schiano, he had he had some success at Rutgers before. That was but, like a decade ago. But like you said, a decade ago, a different conference, number two. It was a completely different conference. The Big East to Big Ten is, is completely different. Big East doesn't even exist anymore. I mean – Rutgers, they're just, it's just a tough coaching job. I mean, you look at, you try to compare like Rutgers to some of these other programs across these uh, other conferences. I mean, teams like uh, Vanderbilt kind of comes to mind in SEC. Like, it's just hard. (laughs) It's hard to play against these teams each and every week and try to get some sort of winning record and consistency because these other teams are so talented. So for Rutgers, I mean, you're going to have to dig deep and you're going to have to find a coaching candidate that is willing to take on a program change and you're willing to buy in on because Chris Ash only had three seasons, like three, a little over three seasons. I mean, the Rutgers isn't going to be a powerhouse overnight and they didn't give them enough time really. And they Honestly, the resources are limited because, like I said, it's Rutgers. You're, you have to have some sort of alert to get these people, these recruits from going to Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin. I mean, you you really have to make a great pitch. And the coaches they've had recently, I mean, they, they've had success under these you know, big name coaches, but they haven't had the program on their own. And you're seeing them fall flat on their face because they haven't had the, a guy lead a, a program from the ashes to competitiveness. So oh, uh, it's it's going to be a process. Um, one thing I'm going to say is I think that you have spent more time thinking about uh, the future of Rutgers than those in charge at Rutgers because you were actually able to put some deep thought into that. Whereas Rutgers just, I mean, there's a reason we kind of poke fun at them here for, because it's, it, I mean, only Rutgers, uh, last, another piece of news, uh, Michigan state running back Connor Hayward announced today that he's transferring. Uh, he definitely kind of lost that starting job to Elijah Collins, the redshirt, uh, freshman who, I mean, he's, he's a dude. He is a straight-up dude. We're going to have to talk about him in future years for the draft. Uh, but, yeah, Connor Hayward, uh, I believe he was a senior. But, I mean, I guess when he just didn't really want to split carries, didn't want to be kind of the backup, you know, after sitting behind the talented backs they'd had in the, in the past with LJ Scott, I guess he was just kind of done. So, I mean, I don't know if Connor Hayward's going to stay in conference or where he's going to go, but... Uh, you know, a guy that we never really got to see maximize his full potential at uh, at East Lansing. So, what's your take on this? Yeah, uh, Connor How- uh, Hayward. I mean, he he's been a pretty solid back for Michigan State, but uh, 
you see the explosiveness explosiveness of Elijah Collins. You can see why they kind of moved in a different direction. Uh, I, I kind of, from the little film that I saw of Connor Hayward, he's more of a power guy. He's not going to have that breakaway speed. Oh, and, he's just like his dad. He's just like his dad was back in the day because he's, uh, he's Craig Hayward's kid. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he's he's certainly a power guy. Uh, Michigan State, I mean, you've seen the, the running backs they put through through the years, Le'Veon Bell uh, specifically, uh, L.J. Scott uh, a couple years ago. So they they have those guys with the the kind of the mixture of power and speed and Connor Hayward he he just didn't have it you know um, sometimes you just don't have it as the person behind you and you know despite you know that's what makes coaching hard sometimes you have the guy that's been there been through the ringer spent the years you know trying to build it build up and get the spot that he wants but um, in the end. It turns out the the backup or someone that's coming in is better, and there's really nothing you could do about. It. I mean, some this this is my last point, and we can move on. But Tommy Stevens at Penn State, he was supposed to be the next guy after Trace McSorley left, uh, and they couldn't guarantee him the starting job because Tommy Stevens was hurt throughout the spring, and Sean Clifford was playing well, and Will Levis was playing well, so they couldn't guarantee the spot for him. So he transferred to Mississippi State. And Sean Clifford's a starting quarterback for Penn State. He's a starting quarterback for Mississippi. Um, Tommy Stevens is a starting quarterback for Mississippi State. So that's like an example of, you know, just the sometimes you're not going to be the guy, even though you paid your dues. And uh, Tommy Stevens is a redshirt senior, but we can move on. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, it's Monday while we're recording this. Um but this is going to be coming out on Wednesday. So what we're going to do every week is we're going to look at the the week that was, and we're going to run through just a couple of points for each game, not spend too, too much time on it, uh, because by the time you were listening to it, uh, it was four or five days ago, and there's a lot to, uh, to try to remember. Uh, and then we're going to preview the week ahead. So let's get into the review, uh, starting with uh, Friday's... Uh, version of uh wisconsin versus michigan uh in penn state versus maryland and maryland remember two weeks ago when maryland was a thing it seems like eternity ago now it really does it really does so my first my first takeaway or question from this game uh is is maryland dead like is their season kind of cooked are they do they have a chance of being an eight or nine win team or are they going to f- struggle to be bowl eligible? Because, I mean, Temple shut them down entirely, and Penn State bludgeoned them to death. To me, I believe the next game they have will be kind of their deciding on the season. I mean, and it's crazy to say that we're four games into the season, but, I mean, they play Rutgers next, so, I mean, you expect them to get a win. But <laughs> you, you, I'm looking at their schedule now. You look at some of these games, I mean – Purdue at Purdue can only be interesting. Uh, you know, if they get some guys back, we're not, I'm not going to spoil that too much. Indiana is much improved. Uh, Minnesota looks great right now. Michigan, that's probably a loss. It's going to be it's gonna be a slag. They're going to, yeah. if like, you ask me, they're like six, seven wins. They could get easily get four more wins looking at four more losses, excuse me. Yeah. On, so they can be right at the six and six level because they got – Michigan, Ohio State, Nebraska, and Michigan State to close out the season. Uh, I mean, right there, 
you gotta you gotta believe at least three of them are going to be losses. But uh, okay. I really I really think you know this week again upcoming week is going to be really important because their offenses look nothing like we've seen in the first. Oh yeah, games. and, and that actually that brings me to my next that brings me to my next point. Um, we saw in the first two weeks against uh, it was was it Howard that they faced in week one mm-hmm. uh, and bludgeoned like seventy nine to nothing, um, and then we saw against Syracuse. Uh, we saw Anthony McFarland, the running back, really in limited touches, do a lot with the ball, find the end zone quite a bit, and there were there were major draft sites and uh, that were labeling him as like the sixth or seventh best running back in the country in terms of you know with room to grow and he's going to be on NFL radars and everything because of his youth because he's only a redshirt sophomore. And he did nothing against Temple, and he was held, I believe, under 50 yards total uh, by uh, Penn State. So my question is, what does the lack of production against real defenses, because Syracuse didn't play no defense, and Howard certainly didn't play no defense, but, I mean, Temple and Penn State, they're like two top 25 defenses in the country. What does that mean for his draft stock? Do you think that he would be best served? Because this is a draft podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think that McFarland would be best served at this point to maybe focus on coming back for his redshirt junior year? He, sh- he certainly should come back. Um, I think it's not going to get any easier. And when you can't produce against especially like a Penn State, like not even like I'm looking at the stats now. He only had 24 yards in that game. Uh, oh, it's even worse than I thought. <laughs> yeah, 24 yards rushing, 7 yards receiving. When you get completely shut down like that, uh, that can really hurt your confidence because, I mean, you saw him last year against Ohio State. Uh, I think that's the one game that stood out to me where he completely yeah. – he had like two super long runs. He was running all over them. Uh, then you look at the game against Howard. He really didn't have to do much because, I mean, it's Howard and – you know, they're not great. Uh, he really I can tell you what conference they're in, so I mean, yeah. that's about all it needs to. The Syracuse was overrated. I mean, he had a pretty decent game against Temple, uh, but really, against once you get into conference play, that's when team that's when scouts really look to see what are you doing against better competition. So, if this is uh, a preview of what we're going to see. This season, he should certainly come back uh, and try again next year because he might end up being a late round pick. Uh, he might end up being an undrafted free agent um, if if he continues to have performance like subpar performances, of course. Uh, so I think it may help him to come back another year. Plus, this is a different offensive system than they ran last year. So yeah. sometimes it takes two, three years for you to really start to thrive in system. So I think it, it might behoove him to come back another season. I like the word, the, the use of the word behoove, but yeah, I mean, I've, I, I was kind of skeptical on him coming into the year just because we hadn't seen him get the touches. And I mean, he was in around that like RB 11 or 12 from me. I've just taken him off. I don't think he's going to declare. I don't think he should declare. Um, and I mean, I've looked at 12 running backs and right now, one of our guys is lower. I'm not going to mention who it is, but he's, 
he's he's well below our guy. Uh, so I just I just feel comfortable that he should just kind of stay. Um, it's just it's not it's not a good fit. It's not it just doesn't seem like a good idea for him to to, to try to declare. So I I've kind of removed him from it. Uh, last point on this game. Oh, sorry, two more points, and we can kind of first is uh, Yitor Gross Matos after getting injured against Pitt, came back, had a very good game, showing a lot of promise against the run. He's been known as a pass rusher that struggles against the run. Uh, no sacks in this game, but I believe six tackles, couple in the backfield as well. He really was a force against the run, which can only help his draft stock. Um, but the question I have for you, it was posed during the halftime show for ABC. I think it was during the... Northwestern versus uh, Wisconsin game that I was watching, but at halftime, uh, they asked Sanchez and Vilma, is KJ Hamler the best wide receiver in the Big Ten Conference? And they both said yes. Your take. Uh, I think they have recency bias. <laughs> Me too. Because once you see a player like completely change a game and his 58-yard touchdown against Maryland – it was one of, it's one of the, the best we've seen this season, just from uh, a run-after-catch perspective. But no. Oh, yeah, those moves he put on the yeah. were, were nasty. I, I literally just did the Chris Berman whoop just because, I mean, as soon as you mentioned that, the first thing that came into my mind. Yeah, but I don't think so because yeah. uh, there's just so many, there's so many talented guys. And, you know, small receivers, they're just so hard to project in a league. I mean – I mean, recently we see Marquise Brown. He's doing he's doing pretty good, but he can't do he's he's not available for some of the other things we've seen some of these bigger receivers have the ability to do. I mean, you look you look at the you look at some of the best receivers in NFL. They're you know six feet and taller. I mean, that that's just the reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, Antonio Brown. You know, I'm I'm only mentioning briefly because we we already know all about him. But (laughs) it was kind of that guy, that kind of tweener guy, he was still able to go up and get the ball. Uh, I think Hamler's game is like getting the ball, get get it to him now, give him some space and go. You know what I mean? He's not like a super complicated route runner. He's not going to, you're not going to throw a fade to him, basically. Yeah. The goal line. It, it, I think, uh, I think they got maybe a little carried away, but yeah, I think that that's just kind of, it, it was something I figured we'd bring up, but yeah, I don't think he's, he's definitely not the best draftable in terms of best receiver in terms of like draft stock or of, of draft eligible players in, uh, at the next level or anything. It's just, it was a weird question. And the fact that they were so adamant on it, I just kind of figured I'd get, get your take. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was weird. I, I, I'm kind of done talking about Maryland right now. Because uh, I want to see Penn State face a team that, I mean, think about it. Penn State has had the weirdest season. They crushed Idaho. They have struggled against Buffalo and Pitt, and then they mercy-killed Maryland. I am so confused by this team. Yeah, they're, they, I don't want to say they remind me of Nebraska, who we're going to talk about later, but they're just a young, like, their offensive core is so young. Oh, they're good. But yeah, yeah, they just, yeah. Yeah, the results don't make sense. Yeah, the the inconsistencies. I mean, there'll be games as you can see Maryland when they play against. I guess I guess Maryland was their best game. I can't really tell. I don't know if it was Pitt or Maryland, 
but the way Pitt's <laughs> playing now, it wasn't Pitt. But it seems like they they're going to kind of rise to the occasion against these bigger teams, these teams that are known to be bigger or whatever, uh, compared to some of the these other teams that just you know kind of, they're not on the same talent level. So I don't know if it's just that you know they're. Maryland was perceived as a better team, the best team they play on the schedule or not. But, I mean, a couple of weeks they have Iowa, so we're really going to see. And it's going to be a, a night game in that stadium in Iowa. Ooh, that's going to be a good one. Um, so moving on to our next game to talk about, it's Rutgers and Michigan. So obviously we talked about uh, Rutgers being so bad, losing 52 to nothing uh, to Michigan and to the point where they fired the head coach. My question for you, does this win mean anything for Michigan? No. No? It does not. In my <laughs> opinion, it doesn't. Because we just spent I spent like five minutes on Rutgers future when I really didn't need to. I mean <laughs> I mean, Michigan I, I'm glad I'm I'll say this. I'm glad they got a running game and I'm glad they're finally using their receivers that We've been so high on going into the season. You saw Donovan Peoples-Jones finally get some receptions and, and some space to work with. Uh, Ronnie Bell, who I think is starting to emerge as a possible top receiver in the next year's draft. Um, as someone I'm keeping an eye on because he's starting to emerge as one of the best receivers on the team. I mean, you saw him against Wisconsin. He came up with some big catches in that game uh, while it was still kind of close. Uh, then, he's twenty twenty two. He's a true freshman. Wow. Yeah. Never mind. But <laughs> he he's somebody to keep an eye on. Uh you saw the bit of Nico Collins, Tariq Black. So those guys finally got involved and they finally got a running game going. And something I harped on in the summer was that Shea Patterson plays so much better when they have a run game and he can do RPO and he can do play action. But when they have to rely on him dropping straight back. That's still an issue. I mean, it's it's that's where he's seen the biggest regression. When he's forced to make plays with his arm, he hasn't been able to do it. And even though he had a pretty good game, he did throw an interception on the underthrown ball uh, in the third quarter, and he also missed uh, a wide open touchdown as well. He overthrew the guy. So, I mean, that's being super critical, but. Against the good teams, they play Iowa this week. He has to hit those gimmies. I mean, you just have Definitely. to have it. So I'm I'm not really that impressed. Um, I want to see them do it against somebody good. I want them to see. I want to see. Want them to come out and play the football they know how to play and they were expected to play this season and not look like the way they did against Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm. I'm still kind of figuring out what this team is and I'm not entirely sure. I know that they're slightly better than like the seventh. I had them in my, uh, in my conference rankings, but I'm not, I'm, I don't know. My, my big takeaway from this game is uh, Rutgers should just make Raheem Blackshear a slot receiver. Now for the listeners who may not know exactly who Raheem Blackshear is coming into the year, he was the guy that Devin and I, tagged as the only draftable player on Rutgers. 
Uh, he is a running back that does not get carries, and when he does, he sucks with it. He gets, like, six carries for, like, 11 yards or whatever. I think that actually was his stat line, six carries for 11 yards. And he had nine catches for over 100 yards and a touchdown. This is a common occurrence. Just make him a damn slot receiver already. It makes no sense. Maybe this new coaching staff will actually do that. Yeah, just make him a slot receiver. Just make him make him a KJ Hamler. Make him a Rondell Moore. Just get him the ball. I mean, you saw against. It's not literally, hard. Literally, I watched like half of the game against Michigan, and he was literally the only player on offense they could get him the ball consistently, <laughs> and he could do something with it. And and I literally like he he's their offense. I mean, it, it, that's what it really comes down to. He, he he led the the team in receptions. I mean, I'm looking at the stats now. He has seven receptions, 55 yards, and like you said, he literally had six carries for 11 yards. So stop handing him the ball in the backfield. Like Just get him throw him the damn ball. Throw it throw it to him on screens. Get him in space. Let him work his magic and just go. I mean, there is. The way they're treating him right now, it, it's just a crime that he's not already a slot receiver. Yeah. Uh, so, basically, Rutgers still trash. Michigan, we're not sure if they're trash. Uh, next game, uh, Northwestern versus Wisconsin. This was a surprisingly competitive game, uh, especially considering Wisconsin was coming off of an inspiring de- uh, demolition of uh, Michigan and uh, Northwestern got spanked by Michigan State. I was kind of surprised that this one was close. Uh, big takeaway for me was that this was a slow game for Jonathan Taylor. He really didn't get into a groove, which has been the case his entire career against Northwestern. I don't know what it is about facing uh, the, the Wildcats, but he just can never really get going against them. Pat Fitzgerald has had his number. Yeah, when you play some of the great running backs and you've been coaching in the conference for quite a while, you play teams like Michigan, and uh, Ohio State and some of those other teams, you start to see some of, um, not the exact same traits, but you start to see patterns. And you start to see running backs, and you start to make game plans on running backs and stopping the running game. And Wisconsin probably came in thinking, we're going to run the same stuff we ran against Michigan. We're just going to, you know, pound it down their throats and keep going and, and have another game where we just overrun Northwestern, but Northwestern wasn't having it. And led by our guy, Petty, Patty Fisher, he, along with some of those other guys on the front seven, they really stifled him. And, you know, he had 116 yards and rushing in the game, 27 carries. Uh, it's still going to look decent on the stat sheet. But when you look in the second quarter and the third quarter, he really wasn't getting much. And when you put Wisconsin in those obvious throwing situations jack cone hasn't developed yet into that consistent passer and person to consistently make plays so the the key you know going forward other teams look at this game like slow down jonathan taylor you have a chance against wisconsin i mean yeah. you take him out of the game you slow him down obviously you're not gonna prevent him from getting bars he's still gonna get you know, his four or five and, you know, maybe a 10-yard burst every now and then because he's just that talented. But if you can contain him and not give up the big run, you have a chance. You saw Northwestern with a chance. 
Yeah, you know what? I kind of thought that this was going to be maybe like a two to three score game, but I mean, twenty was it twenty four fifteen was the final. Uh, they kept it close. This was this game was a slog to get through. Uh, it was very slow. It was very hard to focus because both teams were wearing really ugly uh, throwback jerseys. <laughs> I was not a fan of either of them. Uh, I got the Jake from State Farm vibe from Wisconsin. Uh, Northwestern just they were they were very bland. Which, given Northwestern's general jerseys, I just I was not a big fan of it. But yeah, as you said, Patty Fisher had a really good game. He he struggled against uh, Michigan State, missed some open opportunities. He was. Uh, if he wasn't making the tackle, he was kind of forcing it to the person who did make the tackle. I think he had seven or eight or eight stops on the on the game. Just looked overall better. Uh, I still think he's maybe a little overhyped by a lot of people. Uh, I've said that he's a little bit more Kentrell Brothers than he is Miles Jack, and that he's gonna rock, you know, uh, you know, high, you know, uh, rack up a, a big tackle number, but. It's largely not going to be due to any sort of like, ex, you know, massive amount of athleticism he's got. It's just kind of high football intelligence and just being in the right place at the right time. But I still think that there's a place for that. I just think he's kind of like a late day two, early day three player when it comes to the draft. But yeah, very surprising uh, result that it was that close. Uh, a game that was not close was uh, Mid-Tennessee State versus Iowa. Iowa did not pull a Michigan, uh, was my first takeaway, because Mid-Tennessee State stuck around against Michigan. They did not stick around against Iowa. Nate Stanley had a great game. Uh, he's not going to wow anyone from a draft perspective. He's not um, crazy athletic. He's athletic enough uh, he has a strong arm. He's built well. He's 6'4", 240, decent arm, kind of a high-level backup uh, at the next level. Um, I'm going to be totally honest with you, uh, Devin. I did not watch any of this game, so I'm going to have to rely on you. <laughs> well, looking at Nate Stanley, uh, he is emerging as, if not one of the top draftable quarterbacks in the Big Ten. And uh, I, we were, you know, just in, in talking, just me and you, uh, before we even started this podcast, that that would probably be the case. And it has been because I, I saw him drop some dimes on Saturday. He he has a nice placement on the, the intermediate to deep balls. Uh, he is the, like, he is receiver for a, a nice over-the-shoulder game, probably about 30 or 40 yards and he has the ability to extend plays. I mean, he's not going to be – he's not your, I guess, Shea Patterson or even Michael Penix Jr. or some of those other guys in the conference, Justin Fields, where he's going to run and beat you. But he has the ability to mm-hmm. extend plays, and he has high football IQ. He's not going to beat himself. Uh, he knows when to throw the ball away, when to try and make a play. Uh, he protects the football too. I think that's important and looking at some of these uh, Big Ten quarterbacks that don't necessarily have first, second round talent, but still can produce and still push the ball down the field. So uh, Nate Stanley, he definitely impressed me. Uh, Like I said, with Michigan, I want to see how Iowa does against uh, a better opponent because they they play Iowa State, and that's really the only game that – even remotely competitive on Iowa's calendar, and they barely squeaked out with that win. So it should be interesting to see how Stanley does 
against upcoming Michigan, some we'll talk about later. Uh, but I was impressed with Stanley. Uh, I think he is certainly helping his draft stock this season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like to stay from last year. Uh, I haven't really gotten a chance to watch a lot of Iowa this year. I think it's a, a, it has a lot to do with the fact that they play a lot of Big Ten network games, and they're not being covered nationally. Now, living in Toronto like I do, I'm very, very limited with the amount of out, uh, resources I have watching uh, live games and recording games because I have ABC. I, ESPN does not exist up here, um, and we don't get Fox Sports. So I am. that's why I've been watching a lot of Ohio State. I have not been able to watch a lot of um, Iowa, but yeah, they have uh, really four guys in terms of the draft that my eyes have been on, and that's Nate Stanley, who I think, from what I've seen, and again, this is largely from last year, he's kind of like a less athletic version of Dak Prescott. They're built the same. The arm talent is kind of the same. And now, obviously, again, this is Dak Prescott coming out of Mississippi State, who I had as like a third-round pick. Um... They also have the two offensive linemen, the two tackles and Wirfs and Alaric Jackson, who are extremely talented. And then AJ Epineza, who I'm waiting to actually have a breakout game. But, I mean, Stanley, it's it's all there for him. The offensive tackles, they're good. And I, we'll get more into AJ Epineza a little bit later. Devin, I got some ginger ale here. And uh, I'm pouring one out for Purdue right now because they lost... Perhaps they're two best players this season on the same play. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, I was watching that game live, and literally I was devastated because Cinder- This is what happens when I don't do the, the rundown quite yeah. properly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Minnesota versus Purdue. <laughs> yeah, Cindelar, he's coming. he was coming back from that concussion, and this was the game that was supposed to be, like you said, uh, kickback in uh, – crack a cold one game. I mean, this is going to be the game where offensive fireworks all over the place. You got the receivers on Minnesota. You got Tanner Morgan. Then you got Purdue. You got Bryson Hopkins, Sindelar, Rondell Moore. And I believe second or third drive of the game, Sindelar drops back. He gets drove, driven to the ground. Immediately a shoulder injury. And while – you know, that's happening. You see Rondell Moore go down. He gets kind of pushed, like, to get rerouted. And, like, on his third step, he takes, like, an awkward step and, like, goes down immediately. And then as he was trying to get up, he fell back down. Like, the crowd groaned. Like, they were, like, devastated because they were at Purdue. And because, like, those are your two best players. And see them go down on the same play is truly devastating. Oh, definitely. I mean, we I mean, we have to the point of Purdue fans coming at us said in the past that Elijah Sindelar last year was not good. Uh and he was benched and he was hurt. Um and he was granted the medical red shirt and we both said coming into this year that he was not draftable and it didn't really matter. He was draftable. He was shown to be a very good promising late round type of flyer quarterback. Uh, yeah, just, just the- flinging it around and it's really unfortunate because this guy has struggled with health, with with injuries uh, throughout his career. And then Rondell Moore, I mean, their backup is also just not good. And it really, I mean, from a draft perspective, their best player 
draftable right now is is Bryson Hopkins, and their backup quarterback has shown the inability to get it to him, and he's the tight end. Yeah, he had no catches in the game, and oh. that that was absolutely for me. I mean, I love Bryce Hopkins. That's is my favorite tight end prospect uh, that's draftable in the Big Ten. Uh, to see him not get any catches, and they, he wasn't even. It seemed like he wasn't even looking for him, um, which it was kind of devastating. But uh, one more note on Cindelar before we move on. Uh, I believe he was the first Purdue quarterback to have back to back four hundred yards passing, four hundred passing yards in a game since Drew Brees in the 90s. So that tells you how much improvement he made from last year and how he was really starting to see his guys get Rondell more involved quickly. Uh, Bryson Hopkins was emerging as well. So to see that happen, uh, it sucked. But kind of transitioning to the next thing, uh, Minnesota receivers, I think they might have – one of the best three receivers in the conference. And that's saying a lot. Uh, you got Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman, and then um, the... Is it Chris Ottman Bell you're thinking yeah, of? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was trying not to say his name wrong, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris Ottman Bell. Those three receivers, they're, they're dangerous. And Rashad Bateman has quietly put together a great season. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I, I've been, I think he had a great game while he was sitting on my bench in fantasy, um, <laughs> a couple weeks ago. I've learned since, and now he's, he's a, he's a must start every week, uh, for those of you that do college football and we, at whole nine, we have college football, but we're only allowed to draft from our conference. So, uh, he has been a pleasant little surprise and he was, uh, the number one receiver, uh, for the first couple weeks, and then Tyler Johnson had his breakout game, and then Tanner Morgan in this game just decided that, you know what, everyone gets to score touchdowns, because, like, Bateman had, like, 126 and a touchdown, um, Tyler Johnson had, like, nine catches or something ridiculous like that, like, 80 yards and another touchdown, like, he, they were spreading the ball around, Purdue's defense has not been good, and that kind of segues me to my next question from this game, next takeaway, with... The potential of long-term injury for Rondale Moore, the uncertainty surrounding the health of Elijah Sindelar, and a bad defense, is Purdue going to be bowl eligible this year? No. <laughs> I, I just, just hate, no? I just hate to say it. They're, they're not. Um, you could see how much, just in the way they were playing, I mean, they, they show incredible hard. They, they made this a close game, but the final score was decided by the – I mean, the – the game was decided by the third quarter, and Minnesota just kind of took the foot off the gas. But Ooh, I'm looking at the schedule; it's it's not looking pretty. No, I mean you Penn got State, Penn State next week, uh, Maryland, Iowa, uh, Nebraska. I mean, they have a chance not to get another win the rest of the season. Uh do they face? They don't, they don't face, face Rutgers, so I know, they might not get a win the rest of the season. Yeah. It, it's really going to depend on the health of those guys, but right now it's not looking good for, uh, well, for Sin- Purdue. Well, they're saying Sindelar has, has a broken clavicle. Oh, he's done then. He's probably yeah. done. Yeah, he. they say he could miss the rest of the season. I think he's going to get surgery. Um, and, I mean, with that kind of in mind, I think I think Purdue's season is uh, pretty much finished. I mean, yeah, you 
you lose a, a game against Nevada, you have to have that one. Yeah. Uh, Vanderbilt game, Sindelar goes out with a concussion. You had the TCU game. They just, without Sindelar, they really had no chance. And then Sindelar comes back uh, against Minnesota, gets hurt early in the game. I mean, there's really not. Purdue really has the unluckiest. Oh, they've been, yeah. They, they've had all sorts of injuries. Lorenzo Neal, Sindelar now. Rondo Moore, that's like their three best players. And, man, I don't care who you are, (laughs) Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, you lose your quarterback, star receiver, and uh, one of your best defensive guys. You're not – it's going to be a tough season. Yeah. Um, Moving into who Michigan State actually played, uh, they faced Indiana in what turned out to be a very good game. Now, I have a question for you because, again – I kind of saw a little bit of a condensed game, more like the highlights of this. I kept hearing about how Brian Lewerke played so well, but he was 18 of 36 for 300 yards. Like, did it, uh, did it the, just not translate to what I was watching, or he, did he actually just not play well and people are saying that because they won? I think the stats are kind of deceived the game. Because he, he really did, like, he started off well, and then he kind of had, like, a lull in the second and third quarter. So he had his typical up and down game. Let me say. Oh, okay. That. So he, it, had, it was, it was, it was being Lewerke. Yes, but he actually showed in the fourth quarter that he can actually close the game and close the deal for Michigan state, which is something we haven't seen from him this season or really in the past. Uh, you saw against Arizona state, he couldn't close the deal. Um, even going back to last year, I mean, he, he got pulled in Ohio State game for uh, Lombardi. So the fact that he was able to kind of grind out a win, granted Michigan State's defense, the way they played was surprising, but we'll get to Indiana in a minute uh, and what they did to really push that defense. But I think Lewerke really showed promise and showed the type of quarterback we expected him to be this season, that he was hitting his guys – uh, he was taking some chances uh, late in the game. He made a huge throw, like a, a 40, 50 yard completion to Daryl Stewart Jr. Who was I think that, that's your guy, right? Is, is it yeah. Stewart Jr. Yeah. or is it Cody White? That well, or is it, it, was, both? it was it was Cody White, but I'm starting to see Stewart Jr. He he might be the better one of the two. I mean, he has a bigger body, but he, he's consistently making plays. Cody White did have his moments in this game. But he did drop some easy passes, so that that kind of makes me concerned about him going forward. But Lewerke, he he showed promise. I, I think he's starting to show what we expected from him. Well, that's uh, that's good. I mean, we've only been waiting on it for about a year and a half at this point. Um, I'm still very skeptical of him. I think that if he is going to be anywhere in my rankings, I mean, especially with the way that the, the college season has gone, I mean, Sindelar now being out bumps him up a bit. Uh, but, I mean, if you look at the, this quarterback class, this is, a in terms of a national thing, you have, obviously at the top, you've got, like, Tua, Herbert, from Jordan Love, Joe Burrow, Jacob Eason. Like, all those guys can go round one. And it wasn't that long ago where, like, last year, at some points in the summer last year, we were talking, like, could Brian Lewerke low-key be like a first-round pick in a weak quarterback class? Now this is a strong quarterback class. It's like, 
is he in that Nathan Stanley, Stephen Montez, wherever Jalen Hurts ends up at the end of the year? Like, is he in that tier? Is he a tier below with, like, Josh Jackson and Shea Patterson? Like, he's so inconsistent that I think if you're looking from a draft perspective, I just don't want him. I just wouldn't want him. Yeah, I think he still has a lot to desire and a a lot that – leaves to be desired from him because you want to see him consistently consistently hit those throws because he has the arm talent there's no denying that but you got to be decisive with the ball you got to be smart with the ball and we saw games last year he literally just threw the ball around for up for prayer all kinds of crazy stuff like you and he still does that at times this year it's just it, it happens less like it, he's just kind of he's he's an enigma of a prospect yeah, now, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, moving away from Lewerke, our guy, Kenny Willekes, uh, no sacks on the game, but he showed why he's one of the best run-defending uh, defensive ends in the country. This guy is like edge three or four. Uh, I still think he's probably one of the more underrated defenders in the class, and I know that you feel the same. Uh, but the question that I had, looking at the stats, what the hell happened to Nick Westbrook? This was supposed to be their guy. Now, I played him in fantasy last week. (laughs) I thought he got hurt. I thought maybe he missed the game. I was wrong because one of the reasons I lost in fantasy, and I know no one cares about your fantasy team, was Sean McCune from, uh, from Michigan did not play, and Nick Westbrook, he played, but he did literally nothing. So what happened to him? I think he he's just not the guy we thought he was going to be coming into the season. I mean, he's, and he wasn't even really that high on draft boards, anyways. He's shown yeah. that he is he's not an NFL player. He's barely a college player at this point right now. Yeah, he he's really struggled. But I'll tell you what, I think we might need to start paying attention to another Indiana receiver, and it'll be Wap Fillier, the the Amazing best name, name, the best name in the conference by far. His, his first name is literally WAP, W-H-O-P, failure. So That's a first-round name. Yeah, I mean, that, that screams talent. I mean, you, when you have strange <laughs> names like that, you have to, you have to be that guy. Uh, you, you do. He's, he's turning into that guy, and he can thank his quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., because I'll tell you what, Tom Allen, I think people were questioning him, starring a redshirt quarterback. Uh, you got Peyton Ramsey. He stepped in and did okay last season. But he went with the guy that is the dual threat guy and can extend plays and make things happen, and he is starting to pay dividends. I mean, you might even look back to the Ohio State game and say, would they have scored more points if he was healthy and played in that game? Because, I mean, this Indiana offense looks completely different with Penix Jr. at the helm compared to Ramsey. Yeah, definitely. Uh that was a that was a surprisingly good game. I've been saying Indiana's kind of a sneaky team because we hadn't really seen a lot, but yeah, they they played Michigan State really close. Uh, now, the last game we're going to review, uh, Ohio State versus Nebraska. Oh, Devin, I want God. I want I want you to take a look at the first point I've left for you on the rundown and just read it out <laughs> for the people. You told me. I told you. I told you last week. So. We have recorded uh, a practice podcast last week just to kind of make sure we can work out the kinks. 
you know, make sure everything, you know, we didn't have any audio issues uh, that didn't get released. It was literally just for practice. And I told Devin last week that Ohio State was going to win, I believe I said by about, what did I say, three or four touchdowns? I undersold how badly they were going to whip that ass. Um, but not to toot my own horn, uh, Chase Young, still a beast, eight sacks on the year. Uh, this, he can't be blocked. Like, he really just can't be blocked. Uh, but the, the big takeaway, so going into last week, Jeff Okuda had no career interceptions, and a lot of people were talking about him as CB1, and he was CB2 for me. He was really close. And in the last two games, he's gotten three. He's shed his Mackenzie Alexander top-flight corner in college that didn't get an interception. He's now become a ball hawk. Is he CB1 for the NFL draft? I think so. And a point... I, I think a, so, too. A point I'm going uh, to bring up that I brought up in my... Um, Review from week five uh, that will be available on whole9sports.com. Is it possible? That, could this be one of the first times we see a team have a RB1, an Edge1, and a CB1 all in the same class? Like, I, I, I'm trying to think of other teams that have had all three, and I just can't, none of it comes to mind. The only oh. one I can think of, and, and not these those positions specifically, is 2012. And that was Oklahoma because they had QB1, Sam Bradford, offensive tackle one, Trent Williams, and oh no, no, they actually didn't because they had uh, Gerald McCoy, who was the second defensive tackle taken, but that was like the thing was like the top five were all from the same conference and three were from the same school. I can't think of that, but it is. I mean, for Ohio State, I mean, this it seems like this is what's going to happen because. And Dobbins, Jackie Dobbins is, is becoming that guy. He, he like made it look easy against Nebraska. I mean, he was breaking off 20, 30 yard runs. I mean, he was literally he's literally ran through every single defense that has stepped on the field with Ohio State this season. Chase it's Young, tricky, man. Chase Young has run through every single tackle, guard, center, whoever you want to throw at him. Tight end, chip, it doesn't matter. He's going to get through it. I mean, he has eight sacks this season. He only had ten and a half in fourteen games last season. He has eight in five. He's on pace for like twenty. Like he's on pace for like six. Like 16 and 10 games, and then whoever. Whatever they get. <laughs> however far they go. I mean, it's insane. Uh, Ohio State is just on a Unfair? different class. Yeah, they're just on a different class right now. And Justin Fields is playing well. He, he's looked surprisingly comfortable in his first season as a starter. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to do, right? I don't know what you can do right now. I mean, Michigan State will be playing them next. Ah, I don't. I will talk about that in a preview, but man, th that point spread, woo! Yeah, they have no respect for Michigan State, but no, they do not. But yeah, Nebraska, Nebraska's been just kind of a soft team this year. They they did nothing, and they couldn't do anything. I'll tell you um, what, I, I had Adrian Martinez on my fantasy team, so you you can imagine how that went. Absolutely, oh, I can nothing. imagine a lot of yelling. Man, I watched, I watched like three drives, and I was just like, are you serious? Like, 
<laughs> you can't do anything. Like they, the only good thing from Nebraska was they pay homage to the 1990 90s team. They had they run the little triple option thing. It was the only working. thing they could do. It, it was working. They got down the field, and then the next play they throw a pick <laughs> to Jeffrey to Jeff Okuda, who was on his back. Yeah, that was that was a sick play. He's a uh, just wow. Uh, he's just so good. Uh, he he was he was CB two for me going into last week. Uh, this is on a national scale. Not he was best in the conference by far. Uh, and he was like my seventh overall player. I've bumped him up. He's now my fifth overall player in CB one. Uh, he's just he's so good. He's and he's answering the questions. Uh, he showed out in a big time game. Like this game did not just belong on the Saturday night slate. They no, should have been, like, been, been, been this to earlier in the game. It would have been a nice noon edition that we've, <laughs> that we've seen this year. Where the yeah, where it's Ohio out. State whipping that ass. And by 12.30, I can turn the game off because it's already over. Uh, let's take a look at, at week six. And holy crap, I can't believe we're already in week six. Um, we're just going to run through some points. Uh, basically, because we did talk a lot in the review. We're basically just going to run through a few key points, maybe one from each team, uh, and then we'll do a game pick. So does that sound good to you, Devin? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So Purdue versus Penn State. Uh, this one is, I believe, Saturday at noon. Uh, I'll know the time specifically. I haven't ex- – uh, again, we're recording this Monday night. I haven't written my preview article, which generally comes out Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, so the first question I have is, how screwed is Purdue without the th- really three of their best players? Uh, because Marcus Bailey's out for the year, and we talked about that earlier. They're going to struggle for bowl eligibility. Given how poor Purdue has played uh, offensive line, and their their offensive line is not great, their backup quarterback is even worse, how many sacks does Yitor Grossmatos get? Uh, I need at least three. I need three. Um, I need, need three. I need three from him. I think he he has he has a lot to make up and and show out. And I I just don't think they're gonna be able to block him. I mean, it's it's really gonna it's, it might get ugly because Penn State's defense is that talented where you start to lock on a guy, uh, you got other people coming. Uh, I mean, you got Shaka Tony, uh, some of those other guys, um, Antonio Shelton, Robert Winster. Uh, it, it's it's going to get scary for them. You got the linebackers coming on blitz. Jan Johnson, now, Cam I, Brown. I don't mean to, I don't mean to interrupt. This is a good place for us to for me to mention that uh, Devin actually works uh, for a local station that covers Penn State, so he gets a lot of access. He knows a lot of these players very personally as well. So, yeah, um, you know, as we're recording this Monday night, actually, uh, Robert Windsor, Windsor, and um, one of the offensive linemen will be like talking tomorrow for like media availability. Um, that's just a side note. But anyway, back to Penn State's defense. I expect two to three sacks from Gross Matos. Uh, I think Purdue's offensive line has no answer. I mean, even even when Sindelar is healthy, you saw what happened. I mean, he went out of the game because they couldn't protect him. Uh, and he was he was left vulnerable right off a of concussion. I mean, you, you throw him right into the fire. I mean, that – you play against Penn State. I mean, we're arguing they might be one of the the best defensive units in, in the Big Ten. I mean, you know, behind Ohio State and possibly Wisconsin. Um, 
It's, it's kind of what it's going to come down to. I, I don't think they can block him. And it's going to be a long day for uh, Purdue. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and predict the final score and uh, say they win like – I'm going to be generous here, like 45 to 10. Uh, you picked a bigger blowout than I was going to. I was going to say 41 to 10. So we're still spotting them 10 points, but this is going to be an ugly game. I'm, I'm sorry, Purdue fans. Uh, if you have any uh, concerns you want to get off your chest, uh, you can direct them to at WNS underscore Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> Next oh, game. Next game we have is Maryland versus Rutgers. Now, my first question is, who is actually watching this game? Because I sure am not watching the full game. I'm watching it condensed. Yeah, oh, man. Why? You see, this, this is what I'm talking about, Big Ten. Also, like, also, how, how does Rutgers get these teams fresh off of an ass whooping? Oh, like, my God. <laughs> like, who made their schedule? Like, this is... <laughs> This is this what I'm talking about. Like nobody wants to wants to be the coach of a team that that constantly gets teams right off a a, a spanking. Like good, <laughs> like good lord, are they going to be able to? Work? Do you have time to recover? They just fired their coach. I mean, oh no, they're screwed. They're screwed. Like, uh, but damn, uh, my follow up question: Can Anthony McFarland do something this week? Yeah. Um... <laughs> I'm going to say yes just because it's Purdue and they have shown a lack of ability to play defense. I don't know about yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, I expect him – he probably won't even play in the second half. I think that's yeah. how badly this game is going to go. Uh, this is going to be one of those games where people point to for his draft stock and then they're not going to realize that it's it's against Rutgers and eventually he has to show it against a good team. But, yeah, I'm just – I'm – uh, this game screams uninteresting. And, I mean, speaking of, of doing something, we've seen Josh Jackson do well in that RPO system when it works under Loxley. But when it doesn't, he has looked bad. So it does, is there a bounce back coming for Josh Jackson, the quarterback? I certainly expect so. I mean, you can't expect him to play bad, what, now three weeks in a row? I mean... If Rutgers shuts him down, he's dead as a prospect. Yeah, I mean, you can pretty much end any conversation you have about him or his draft stock. I mean, you just have to produce against Rutgers. I mean, it, that's what it comes down to. You just got to produce. And, I mean, we saw Shea Harrison. That he, if if he can bounce back, uh, Josh Jackson certainly can because Shea Harrison has had some rough games as a Michigan Wolverine, like some rough. So yeah. Um, the next game, I honestly want to spend as little time on this game as possible. It's Kent State versus Wisconsin. Oh, sorry. Let's pick the Maryland-Rutgers uh, game. Are we picking Maryland? Yeah. I don't even want to say a final score. but It's going to be ugly. They're gonna, Rutgers is going to get spanked. Uh, speaking of spankings, again, I don't want to spend too much time on this game. Kent State versus Wisconsin. Can we agree that this is a blowout? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't. I really don't expect Wisconsin to struggle again. And they they have a fire lit under them. They let a Northwestern team much less talented talented than them hang around. So you got to put these teams away early and just move on. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to. Uh, yeah. Th- let's call it. This is the. And you're going to hear this a lot from me, listeners. This is the 
Kick back on your couch with the cold one game of the week. It's Iowa versus Michigan at the Big House. Nate Stanley versus Shea Patterson. Maybe at the beginning of the year that had a little bit more oomph behind it. But, I mean, Nate Stanley, I've said it, he's probably late day two, early day three pick. Shea Patterson is Shea Patterson. I'm not, <laughs> like, he's not good. Let's stop pretending he is. Um, the What I'm interested to see is, does the fact that Michigan's D-line is very poor, which is shocking because they have one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, and they're Michigan. I know that they're replacing like 90% of that defense from last year, but their defensive line is bad, and they've got to face the two best tackles of the conference in Alaric Jackson and, and Tristan Wirfs. Is a big game coming from either Nate Stanley or the running back Makai Sargent? Uh, I think Sargent, and they kind of rotate running backs too, similar to Penn State, Iowa. Yeah. Um, but I think their running game has a big day. I think Michigan hasn't proved that they can stop a running game this season. I mean, excluding Rutgers, you look at the Middle Tennessee State game, they had success running the ball. Army, Army. had a ton of success running the ball, and we know what happened against Wisconsin. So until they can prove to me that they can consistently stop the run, which they haven't been able to, this is going to be a long game for their defense where they're on the field a long time because Iowa is still a pro-style type of offense. They're all about possessing the ball and drawing out clock, and they like those slugfest type of games. And you run the ball twice. You run, you throw it on third down. Sometimes they'll do like a, a reverse every now and then. Iowa is really that slow-it-down type of game. I think Michigan will struggle against the run again and. That, that could say doomsday for their offense because they're only going to have so much time to do something with it. So if they're going three and out or they're punting or turning the ball over. Uh, and, oh, one more thing I forgot about Michigan. Last game was the first time they didn't fumble the ball in their opening possession. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Only Rutgers. Uh like. How how does that even happen for a team like Michigan and you have a veteran quarterback? Like, I, I can't believe that. Like, the Rutgers game was the game that broke their streak of starting the game off with a fumble. So if they start the game off with a fumble, I'm gonna tell you right I'm gonna tell you right now, the crowd is gonna get nervous. The the crowd's gonna be calling for I don't, I think McCaffrey's probably not cleared yet. They're gonna be calling for that third string quarterback. Milton, yeah. Milton. Uh, now, last question on this game before we, we do a pick is uh, AJ Epineza. He hasn't really done much this year from what I've seen. Is a breakout game coming? Now, the only thing that's going to get in the way of that is that Michigan's got a good offensive line. So isn't AJ Epineza breakout coming? I think it has to come um, because he has one sack on the season and coming from people, they had him as edge one edge two. Uh, I mean, he's still up there, but you want to see that production. I mean, granted, uh, Joey, uh, Bosa, am I, am I saying that right? No, his, uh, Nick Bosa. Nick, Nick, Bosa. Nick, Bosa. Nick Bosa missed a ton of time. Um, and still got drafted pretty high, but uh, I just need Epineza to, to show, you know, that he's that elite guy. And I, what better game is it to do than against Michigan and a team that's struggling um, with the offensive identity? I think this could this could be a game he breaks out. So 
one thing left to do. Let's pick it. So uh, I, who's the favorite in this one? Is it is it Iowa? Well, Vegas is saying Michigan uh, is the favorite by five. That's got to be just because of the the home field advantage, but yeah. But I, yeah. I think I think I got Iowa by uh, a touchdown. I think they win like twenty to thirteen. That's I was gonna yeah. I was gonna say twenty four to twenty. I'm also picking Iowa. Uh, I just I have a lot more faith in the Hawkeyes than I do in the Wolverines. Uh, I think that they're just straight up a better team. And I just have no faith in that Michigan offense. And again, this is another situation where it's a big game and I just, I don't have faith in Harbaugh to pull it out. Um, So let's move on to our next game. We've only got three more. Uh, Illinois versus Minnesota. Is this a sleeper game? Because like Minnesota is 4-0. Are they 4-0 or are they 5-0? Yeah, they're 4-0. They're 4-0. That's what I thought. They did have a bye week. Um, Illinois, I mean, Illinois could be three and one, uh, actually Illinois could be undefeated if we're being honest. They let, they let Eastern Michigan pull the upset on them and they almost beat Nebraska. So, I mean, this, this is a interesting game because, well, Minnesota really hadn't up until Purdue faced anyone and Illinois they just seem to kind of have mental lapses that allow teams to kind of pull out a W. Um, if Illinois loses this, does this put Lovey Smith on the hot seat? Yeah, it has to because they they have they have talent. Illinois. This is not like Rutgers. Um, I love how where, Rutgers has basically snuck into every single prediction. <laughs> pre, pretty much, but it, this this team isn't Rutgers. They they have the ability to win games and be competitive. I mean, Reggie Corbin's talent is just being wasted. That's our guy. He's just, he's just being wasted at Illinois. Uh, he has to be on a hot seat. Their cover, uh, their Tampa two defense is not working. Um, let's it's see. too complex for, for the it, college game, or at least for, yeah. for Illinois right now. It's too complex. It's, it's yeah, not it, working. And when you're playing against Minnesota, I'm going to tell you right now, Tanner Morgan is going to pick them apart because their offensive line, they have a style. Well, they had some struggles early in the season, but uh, against Purdue, they really had gave him time to throw. When you have him give him time to throw, he finds those talented receivers. And Illinois doesn't have the guys on the outside to compete. I mean, we saw in a Nebraska game, J.D. Spillman was running down the middle of the field the entire game. Uh, and they were able to get – Runs right down the middle of the defense. I mean, you you got to do something if you're Illinois. Uh, Lovey Smith is he's on the hot seat if he loses because he this will be the, what the third game in a row that it's very winnable that he's lost. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's an interesting one. Um, I I don't know. My my last question for this preview is again four zero Minnesota. Do they deserve to be ranked? Like I said, they, they really haven't beaten anyone up until Purdue, and Purdue just kind of had their entire team melt. So, nah, do they you deserve s- to be ranked? Nah, their story is still yet to be written because their schedule, you look at their schedule, they could really sneak out nine wins. Um, but do they deserve to be like ranked now? Because I know no. like they, they, they've literally had to sneak by every game except Purdue. Yeah, they... They pretty much, like you said, sneak by. I mean, they're they're getting these seven point and three point wins. 
Um, they don't deserve to be ranked yet. They need to play a quality opponent, and their first quality opponent is going to be Nebraska or Maryland. Kind of depends on what they do in, in, in the coming weeks. Uh, I mean, they play Illinois, then they got Nebraska after that, and then they got Rutgers. We know about Rutgers. Uh, and then they got Maryland. And then down the stretch, last four games, Penn State, Iowa, Northwestern, Wisconsin. So we really won't know the success of Minnesota until like they get deep into the season. And that that could mean they're still in contention for the Big West title. So uh, right now they don't deserve to be ranked, but uh, get a few more wins. We could we could talk about it then. So who you got in this one? You going with the Illini or you going with the Golden Gophers? I got Minnesota uh, by like 13, which is kind of weird. Um, 33-20. I think Illinois is going to keep it close because Minnesota loves these these really close games for whatever reason. Uh, But I am also going to go with Minnesota. I think that they pull it out. I think it's single digits. I'm going to say that they take it 20, 28-20. I think that we can expect a big game from our guy, Reggie Corbin. I want to finally see something from Carter Coughlin, the edge rusher from Minnesota. I think, though, Rashad Bateman finds the end zone at least twice. Uh and Tyler Johnson does as well. The running game, I think, kind of just keeps Illinois off the field as much as well because they have a really good running game, uh, the Gophers do. I just think it's a little too much. Maybe this is the game that gets the Golden Gophers ranked. Second to last, um, Northwestern versus Nebraska. Now, Nebraska is 2-2. Two and two, Or are they 3-2? and two? Hang on, let me, let me check. What's Nebraska's record? Gonna drive me nuts. Uh, Huskers. Sorry, I'm looking this up because I didn't come as prepared as I would have thought. They are three and two. Northwestern is one and three. My first question is, which team is actually better? Talent-wise, Nebraska, um, because they they have those recruits that are coming in, and you look on the offensive side, they got talent all over the place, but. Really comes down to quarterback play, and man, both quarterbacks struggled so bad last. Hunter week. Johnson is so bad; he's think, so bad. And, and his backup came in and did a little bit better, but their QBRs were horrible. Oh, like, they're just—they're not a good team. They're—they're they're another one that's going to struggle to bowl eligibility. It's weird. The Big Ten has a lot of teams that are going to be in that kind of struggle for eligibility and they're going to kind of all end up being in that five to seven to seven and five range. And I can't tell at this point who's who. Yeah. They're just all kind of clumped together at this point. There's really it's Ohio no... state. And then like the next year. And then that, that basically from like the seventh spot down, they're all just kind of mishmashed together. And I, I mean, it's a confusing conference. I'm looking at the the stats. Hunter Johnson, 10 of 21, 59 yards. Uh, oh, 8.9 QBR. His backup came, his came, came in, Aiden Smith. Uh, he threw a touchdown interception, a pick six to add to that. But he went 8 of 20, 99 yards. Oh, my God. And he had an 18.6 QBR. But that's not even the worst thing about this game because Agent Martinez literally had a QBR of 3.4. Oh, God. Yeah, this 
This is going to be. I, I'm pretty sure this has to be a Big Ten Network type of game. This has to be a, B, a big a BTN game. They always get these really bad games. Um, like, oh my! And, and again, I, str- I mentioned Northwest is going to struggle with eligibility. Do we just want to pick this one and move on to a game yeah. that matters? Yeah, right, it's, so who it's you time got? to move on. Uh, I got Nebraska, thirty-one to seventeen. I guess. I mean, I don't even. I don't even really know what to say because, like, Nebraska is just so disappointing. I mean, they they could they should be four and one right now, and the Ohio State loss is completely understandable. Colorado's inexcusable. The how close the game against Illinois is inexcusable. Um, I think this is a, a fringe bowl team. I mean, they, you say they could be four and one. They should be two and three. That's true. Because I mean, they should have lost Illinois. I mean, that's true too. I mean, they could easily. They're a couple plays away from being four and one. They're also a couple plays away from being two and three. So that just kind of explains how the season going. A, a season filled with so much hype. Build up Adrian Martinez is a Heisman candidate. Nebraska is back. They're going to Big and Ten, none et cetera, of that, et cetera. Right. And, none of that. And, and they're a middle of pack Big Ten team. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna also pick Nebraska. We, we're agreeing a lot, uh, which is not what I expected. But again, this is just kind of a very nonchalant type of, of week for the Big Ten. I'm waiting for when we get kind of more games that are more of a toss up than this. Um, I really struggle to see whether Nebraska is actually better than Northwestern. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to be different. I'm taking Northwestern in this one. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know why either. Uh, But (laughs) (laughs) I just have a feeling that Nebraska is still kind of going through the motions and hasn't quite woken up yet. And I still think that with them being so young, and a lot of their players are so young, Adrian Martinez, sophomore, their running back is a sophomore, um, and of course they've got, uh, oh, what's the other running back's name? Wandale Robinson, which is another awesome name. <laughs> he's a true freshman, and he's been outperforming their guy that was in place. I just think that Nebraska is just kind of a soft team, and Northwestern just rocks you in the mouth when they're on the when you know uh, when they're at their best. I think that they're going to shake Nebraska up. I think they're going to keep this one low scoring uh, and kind of shut down the Scott Frost type offense. I'm going to go Northwestern 17-13. Nice. Uh, so our last game, and then we are going to get out of here. Uh, Michigan State versus Ohio State. First question to you, Devin Lewerke, Will he show up? I don't. I had to say no. I don't think you will. Me um, neither. It's Ohio State's just a different, different beast, and we've seen last year. We even seen to a degree this year when you pressure with Lewerke, he's going to make a bad decision. And against Ohio State, Chase Young will be breathing down your neck the entire game, and. You're going to have to stand in and take some pops. I don't haven't seen Lewerke really do that too much this season. Um, and granted, he really hasn't played the type of level of competition Ohio State's going to bring. Um, but granted, I, I just don't think it's going to – he's going to make enough plays to where they can beat Ohio State. I mean, I just – 
I just don't have enough faith in him. There's the film hasn't told me that he's going to have one of these games where he completely dominates. He throws for 400 yards, three or four touchdowns, and leads his team to victory. I don't think this is the game he does it. Yeah, no, I think we both can kind of agree that this is going to be another Ohio State high-scoring victory. Uh, but the last question, and then, of course, we'll wrap up. Uh, we do have Chase Young and Kenny Willickis, two of our favorite players in the in the conference. And, of course, there's also Jeff Okuda, Joe Bocci, who are, like, some of our favorite guys. But between Willickis and Chase Young, give me a combined sack number. Um, I would say like three and a half, probably. Yeah, three and a half, four. I was thinking the same thing. I think Joe Bashi is probably going to rack up 15, 20 tackles. He's going, he's going he to does. have to. He's going he's to have to. to. <laughs> and that's just what he does. And that's why that's why you and I absolutely love him. Is he's just he's so good. Um, but I think I think the Jeff Okuda interception streak keeps going because I think that Lewerke's just gonna screw up and 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 throw some Brian Lewerke type passes and it's gonna end up being their demise. I'm I'm picking Ohio State. I still think I think Ohio State gets fifty again. Mm. I think it's I think this one's fifty five twenty. I like I like Michigan State. I still think that this is a five touchdown game. Ah, I just I I would have to disagree. I don't think they're gonna blow them out. Um, I think Michigan. Really, I think Michigan State's defense. This is gonna be the first real defense that uh, Ohio State's offense plays this season. Also true. Uh, I think J.K. Thomas doesn't have a big a day he's been having. Uh, I still think he might get to hundred yards, but I think it's gonna be like twenty five like carries ish. Um. And I think Justin Fields has his first bad game where he might throw an interception or two and have some adversity. Uh, I think Ohio State wins, but uh, the spread says 20 and a half. Um, I'm going by 10. I think this is a, a fairly low scoring game to Ohio State standard. Uh, I got Ohio State 27-17. I want this game to be so close so badly. You have no idea. I live in a region where if they're on TV and they're on a national television, like nationally televised game, I'm getting Ohio State. Like that's just based off of geographics how ABC and ESPN are working for me. I need this game to be close because I am frankly kind of tired of watching an Ohio State game where by midway through the third, I don't have to actually pay attention anymore. And it's more or less, it, when the game becomes background noise because the starters are on and I don't have to watch for scouting, it's not fun. And I want a fun Ohio State game. And it's fun to watch their offense and their defense kick ass, but I also kind of want to see a game actually be competitive. But uh, we're going to call it there because uh, it's been a little bit of a long podcast, but you know this is probably what you can expect from us probably in that kind of hour to hour and a half as we kind of, you know, get our, our chops cut on this. But thank you for tuning in to the Big Shots Podcast. Once again, Mike Hernition here. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Spencer WNS. You can find Devin at Real D underscore Jackson. Did I get that right? That's correct. All right. So, and then you can look out for our content every week on Whole Nine Sports. Devin puts out an amazing uh, review piece every week. 
that usually drops on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. You can find me. I do uh, the weekly preview. That's generally on the Thursday. I also do power rankings uh, for e uh, each Big Ten team and where they stack within their own conference, uh, as well as the occasional, uh, you know, big board or hot seat rankings for all for the nation. Uh, we're kind of we're, we're a bit like duct tape. We kind of do whatever we feel like it. So again. That's going to do it for you know, for us, guys. We will see you next week here on The Big Shots. And uh, we're going to see exactly how wrong we were. Uh, take it easy, guys.